so sincere. <laughs> That's what that was. Oh, praise God. Love this uh, series we're going through in these uh, clips that we're looking at. Thanks, Connery, for doing that one for us and to the Ballantine family, whether you realize that was happening or not. Um, I hope you were blessed uh, by that. How many people, can I just ask this? Um, this isn't part of the sermon. Good morning, by the way. Um, child dedication. How many people keep your eyes open during the prayer that Mike prays for the babies, hoping something crazy is going to happen? You, do you? Do you? I totally do. Dexter stared at Mike pretty much during the entire prayer, and it was slightly creepy. It was, uh, it was, just, it was weird to me. But anyways, um, lots of fun. I hope you're having fun today. I hope you're blessed to be here. Uh, we are talking about communication today and communication in marriage. We are in this series. It's a family thing. And um, how we use words in our marriages and in our families is critical to the health of our homes. I hope that's not like new to you. I hope you understand how important communication is uh, to your marriage and to your family life. And hopefully we can all uh, acknowledge that and hopefully we're all in a good place. But I would suspect that um, we all have some work to do in this area to communicate better to our spouses, to communicate better uh, to our children from parent to child and child to parent and that we're doing better at this day by day. And that's really what today is about, is that we would look again at God's word and try and figure out some things that are going to help us in this area. And so I want you to take the Bibles right away to Proverbs chapter 15. And in Proverbs 15, we read this great verse, Proverbs 15, 4, um, just simply says this, a gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. And you can see, as is true of so many Proverbs, there's a positive side, a blessing side, and then there's a negative side or a curse side to things. And that's really what we want to break down in today's message. We see this key principle, and if you have your notes in front of you, uh, this key principle, when you speak perversely, if, when you speak in a twisted, distorted kind of way, a harmful way, uh, you crush the spirit of the person that you're speaking to or about. But when you speak well in a soothing, a gentle is the word here, in a healing kind of way, when you speak in that kind of way of each other, uh, well, then you give life. And uh, so the intro is really no more complicated than this. Today, we're going to look at this in this message. Uh, seven spirit crushers and seven life givers. We're going to look at seven different Proverbs, and we're going to look at seven things that we can say or manner of communication that crush the Spirit, and then seven ways uh, instead that we can be giving life. And um, just before I pray, let me just say this. Um, I, not always when I preach MIA, I, I try to preach the authority of God's Word. That's the whole thing that we're about here. Uh, but not always when I speak, am I a subject matter expert? However... Today, on this matter of spirit-crushing communication, I just feel that I'm a subject matter expert in this. I have lots of experience with getting this wrong. And uh, maybe that's you too. And so let's just start with a prayer of repentance and uh, ask God to do a work here. Amen? All right, let's pray together. Our God and Father, um, we understand that even in these moments as we begin to consider communication in our own homes and whether we speak well of each other and about each other or not, that a battle's gonna rage in this room. A battle's gonna rage inside every heart of whether or not we would believe this, whether we would be prepared to make the changes we need to make, or whether we're just gonna go about doing things our own way. Father, we want your will. We want your way in our lives. That's why we're here today, to get your word open and see uh, what in our life is not yet like Jesus. And so God, make us like him today as we examine your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, so this is uh, the way it goes as far as the series. We're looking at priority number six. It's a family thing to speak well of each other. That's what we're looking at. Uh, speak well of each other. Speak well about each other. Speak well to each other. Speak well with each other. However you want to look at this, we're talking about communication in the home. Seven spirit crushers, seven life givers, number one. First spirit crusher, too much talking. How many people just said at the outset, you would just confess, 
Just confess, and I'm going to raise my hand. Look, somebody has their hand up already, and I haven't even asked you what you're confessing. I haven't told you yet. How many people just say, you know that you have a propensity to talk too much? All right, keep your hand up for a second. Just take a look around, all right? Now, if you see a family member who you know talks too much and they don't have their hand up, just be the Holy Spirit to them for a second. I'm just kidding. Put your hands down. Some people just talk too much. Take a look at chapter 10, uh, Proverbs 10, 19. It said, we're going to work. We're going to be flipping around Proverbs a little bit. Now, check this verse out. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. When words are many, transgression is not like, if you talk too much, you can be sure that there's sin in it. It's like almost perfectly guaranteed. I mean, there's an inevitability to the fact that just by the sheer volume of words that come out of your mouth, that some of those are going to be hurtful words. That some of those are not going to be words that really honor the Lord. And it's going to crush the spirit of another person. The essential issue here is that with too much talking, here's here's the thing that happens. If you just talk too much, your brain actually lacks the capacity to act as a filter before those words come out of your mouth. How many people would just say, I mean, I I, I know, I I spoke, I just wish I hadn't said that. I wish I could rewind. I wish, uh, like my computer, I had uh, a a redo and a delete, a a go back to, a restore previous settings. I wish I had that. You wish you could take back the words that you had spoken. With too much talking, the wisdom filter comes off. And rather than taking the time to discern what is being said, you talk without thinking, without considering. It just comes out. And as it's coming out, we raise not the possibility, we raise the probability of all these other things that we're going to talk about here this morning, all these other things coming out. Take a look. We raise the possibility that flattery is going to come out of our mouths. We'll talk about that in a moment. We raise the possibility that we're going to gossip about someone and say something that's inappropriate or isn't ours to tell. We raise the probability of slandering someone. We raise the possibility of speaking untruths and being deceitful, of saying hurtful words, of saying insightful or, um, sorry, or contentious words that would incite uh, fighting. We raise the possibility that we're going to make promises we're not going to keep by the sheer volume of words that are coming out of our mouths. And in the context of our families, it raises the very distinct possibility that we'll be crushing the spirit of our spouses and crushing the spirit of our children. But listen, when we're a life giver, we measure our words. We're much more careful about what we say and how we say it. Look at the second half of that verse now. It started with when words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Whoever measures their words, restrains them. Whoever puts the brakes on and makes sure that the wrong words aren't coming out, but but life-giving words are coming out. That person is prudent. They're wise. They've thought it through. They're discerning. I just think it would help us if we would ask the question, and, and this is the problem. We're, we're thinking and we're sending stuff out. It's just coming out of our mouth and we're not discerning it. We're not filtering it. But if we were, if we were just to stop for a second and actually think about what we're going to say. Is this next word, is this next sentence, is the phrase I'm going to say, is that going to help this situation or hinder it further? Is it going to build the person up or tear them down? Is it a loving word or a hateful word? If we could just ask that, if we could filter everything we're going to say through a question like that one. Will I be offering a solution to a problem or will I be increasing the confusion? We all know the maximum. It's so trite. We all know it. Think before you speak. Heard that? Think before you speak. And I would just add to that. Think before you speak, and then maybe don't say anything at all. How's that? 
Because a lot of times we really don't need to say anything at all. And uh, we sang so beautifully of Jesus today. I just love how every song was exalting his name. And uh, he is more than a good example to us. He's our Lord and Savior, and we have worshipped him on that basis here this morning. But he is also a good example to us. He really is the model after which we should be patterning our lives. And I just thought about all the times when Jesus could have spoke and didn't. All the times when he could have said something, but he held his breath. I didn't take the time to count it, but if anyone has a right to say anything, it's Jesus, correct? I mean, he gets to say whatever he wants to say. He's God after all, God Almighty. And we're the ones who violated the relationship with him. We're the ones who severed it by our sin. If anyone gets to say anything, it's Jesus. And so often he chose to say nothing. Isaiah 53, 7, as the lamb before her shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. At the critical moment that he was being accused, when he could have lashed out, when he could have defended himself, when he could have said, I'm not guilty of these things, and he wasn't, he said nothing. It's powerful, isn't it? And yet we're so quick to speak. So quick to say so much. Too much talking. It's a spirit crusher. Instead, we should measure our words. That's what will give life. Secondly, let's look at this. A flattery. A flattery is best seen as a compliment of sorts. The thing with flattery is this. Flattery could be true or not true. A compliment, a true compliment is always true. It's something I see in you. I'm, I'm going to recognize your conduct. Or I'm going to recognize your character. On occasion, I might even recognize um, you know, how good you look. Uh, although that's kind of a lesser of the kind of compliments I ought to be giving. I really ought to be complimenting the character of a person or the conduct of a person. Uh, a true compliment, though, will be re- it'll be true. It'll be based on fact. But flattery doesn't, it's not so specific. It could be true or not true. And the thing about flattery is this. Flattery's intention is to gain an advantage. Uh, The purpose of flattery is to benefit the flatterer, not the flattery. I'm going to say this to you in order that I can gain an advantage in your life. I'm trying to leverage the relationship. I want something from you, so I'm going to say something to you that's going to make you like me. Again, it doesn't need to be true necessarily. Now, one of the most egregious examples of this that happens in the home is the teenager who wants something from the parent. Correct? Uh, Many of you are guilty of this. Uh, Many of you have been victims of this as parents. And uh, but the teenager who wants the car to go out or wants to stay out later or, or wants to go somewhere and and um and then chooses in his or her own mind, usually a his mind, to, to go and leverage the parent who is most vulnerable to flattery, correct? Um, or the one who is more apt to say yes. And so in, in our home, I don't know, that's maybe Cheryl would be more apt to say yes to some things, although we talk a lot about things and make sure we agree on it because we figured our kids out long ago, mostly. And... Um, but, but, but the child would, would come up and say, Mom, you look so great today. Now, first, the problem is the teenager is only occupied with the flattery part and what they're going to gain out of it so they don't actually take the time to notice whether Mom has done her hair and makeup yet. <laughs> and if Mom hasn't done her hair and makeup and she doesn't look all that good in that particular moment, uh, then Mom is smart enough Uh, to figure that out and know this is flattery. And um, flattery will get you... Hello, are you here? There's a lot of you. Flattery will get you nowhere. Correct. Flattery will get you nowhere. It's selfishly motivated. And instead of saying thank you for the little bit of flattery that she gets from her son, she's going to say, what do you want? Because mom saw through it. 
Well, that's flattery. The big danger, though, according to, now we're looking at Proverbs 29.5. Take a look over there. The big danger here is this. The man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. Because not, all, not always does the person uh, kind of respond to the flattery in the right way. Not every time can they discern whether it's genuine or not. Sometimes we're actually leading a person on to believe something that isn't true. Sometimes we are so selfishly motivated that we're actually ensnaring the person. And the picture here is of a trap, a net set for a bird or for an animal to, to, to confine them, to trap them. And that's what we're doing with flattery. We're trapping the person. Maybe they're going to believe this thing that isn't true. Maybe they're going to fall for our trap. Maybe we're going to be able to manipulate them as a result of what we've said. They fall victim to empty praise. This is so damaging in our homes. Instead, we ought to be life givers. Sincere words ought to come out of our mouths. We should never seek to be selfishly motivated by what we say. And when we offer a compliment, it ought to be truly that. Out of love, out of really noticing what's going on with no selfish motive whatsoever. But only because I desire more than anything else to give you life. I don't want anything from you. Sincere words. I know that a couple of weeks ago, this is a family series. It's okay that a couple of weeks ago I quoted from Winnie the Pooh. You were okay with that? Everybody was okay with that? Yeah. All right, my favorite childhood author was Dr. Seuss. Yeah, any other Dr. Seuss fans here? Love it. Still read Dr. Seuss from time to time. I love this from Horton, the elephant. I said what I meant, and I meant what I said. That's what we need. We need more of that in our homes, more sincerity and less flattery. Whatever comes out of our mouths needs to be truthful, never to gain an advantage. We want to be sincere, speaking with integrity and honesty, and that's how we give life to one another. Amen? That's it. Number three, spirit crusher, gossip and slander. The source of so much conflict in churches, the source of so much conflict in marriages, in extended families, in immediate families, in friendships, the source of so much heartache, so much uh, divided uh, loyalties, so much destroyed uh, relationships, gossip and slander. It's curious that the word gossip, by the way, refers to both the information and the informant. You pass along gossip and you are a gossip. It's almost stinging when you say that, right? And no one would want to be labeled as someone who passes along information that is not theirs to pass along. Check out chapter 26, verse 20. I love the picture here. For lack of wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases where there's a lack of wood the fire goes out that makes sense we have a backyard uh, fire uh, place and um, we go out there and we have a great time together and we keep throwing logs on keep throwing wood on the fire as long as we want to be out there and roasting marshmallows and hot dogs and having a good time together and then when the night is winding down we do what everyone does we just stop putting wood on the fire We let that burn down to nothing. And before I go to bed, I make sure that that fire is out. I mean, that's you just stop putting wood on the fire. How how clear is that? Don't you love Proverbs? So clear. Don't even need a preacher. I get it. Fire goes out when you don't put wood on it. I get it. So uh, clear to me. Well, the same thing true of gossip. Where you don't have a whisperer. Hey, come on over here. I want to tell you something. It's always in hushed tones. It's always alone in a corner. It's always just you and the other person uh, in a coffee shop talking about uh, your friend. It's always off to the side. It's always in hushed tones and murmurs and whispers. You don't want to be a whisperer. This is the person who gossips and slanders. They trade in half-truth and innuendo and distortions, and they do such to advance themselves with other people and to denigrate another. 
It's a power move. Gossiping is always a power move. I want to gain an advantage over this other person, so I'm going to tell you something despairingly about them. I want to tear them down so I look better to you. I want to be the one who has all the power. We're hearing today with the extent of the internet that the most valuable commodity in the world today is information. It's always been that way. Words have always been more powerful than anything else. Only today it just seems to be more prolific. The person's reputation that you're speaking of is of no consequence to the whisperer. They are spirit crushers. We're plagued with this today. At one time, gossip, in its official sense, was the purview of sketchy tabloid magazines. It's not anymore. Even those that we would count as reputable journalists with newspapers and media outlets that we would count as the most... Um, respected in our country, even they trade in gossip today. I'm not talking about back on the lifestyle page. I'm talking about on the front page. It no longer matters if a story is substantiated or true. They'll print it. It doesn't matter whose reputation from unsubstantiated stories is being dragged through the mud. It doesn't matter. If it's information, people should know it. That's the new motto. That's the standard that's being perpetuated in our society. If you know it, you can repeat it. It must not be so amongst us. Followers of Christ have to raise themselves up to a new standard. And we're not talking here simply about uh, the speaking of gossip or the, the, the spreading of slanderous uh, matter it's listening to it as well you may not be the one uh, speaking it out but if you're receiving it if you have ears for it if you're listening to it you're as guilty you're helping to spread it and i would love that we would just have as, as so quick to come out of our mouths when we start to hear something that we shouldn't be hearing that we would just step back and raise our hand and just go i don't have ears for that Oh, that we could all say, I just don't have ears for that. And don't, don't give a thought to whether you're offending the whisperer. I don't have ears for that. I don't want to be part of what's going on here. We have this culture fueled by social media. It's just making this so difficult on us. But as the followers of Christ, we must raise ourselves to a new standard. Instead, we need to be the ones who are giving life. What comes out of us need to be affirming words, building up words, encouraging words. We have to stop putting wood on the fire. If we do, it'll go out. If we stop spreading things that are not ours to spread, the fire will stop burning. If we refuse to gossip, refuse to slander, refuse to listen to some things, the story ends there. And we affirm one another by simply doing that, by stopping the gossip, by stopping the slander. And so before speaking, ask yourself a few questions. Is this my story to tell? Sometimes things are just another person's story to tell. I don't know anything about that. You'd have to go ask the person. That's their story. I don't have anything to do with that. Go ask the person. That should be quick to come off of our lips. Is this damaging? I could ask myself this question. Is this damaging of a, of a person's character in any way? Should I be shredding their character? Should I be listening to this? Do I even know if this is true? And does that even matter? Is what I'm sharing intended to help the person or hurt the person? Am I even in a position to help the person? Because then I could use that as an excuse. Well, I'm listening to this because I, I think this will be really helpful to the person if I listen to this and if I know it. But are you in a position to help the person? 
of necessity. I'll just tell you right now of necessity when our elders get together. Terry's right here in front of me. Our elders are all in the room right now. And so we get together and sometimes in a person's life there's discipline issues and we have to talk about that person's life at our elders meeting. And in that context, we have the ability to help the person. And whatever we say at the table needs to be said in a way that's constructive and edifying and building up and has as its goal uh, bringing the person to a better place with Christ. But if you're not in a position to help the person, we're not just sitting around the table gossiping about people. We're not slandering their character. We're in a position of godly authority to help a person. If you're not, stop talking about it. Ask myself, am I gaining some power, some influence or advantage by virtue of this information being shared? And instead, by doing all of these things, asking these questions, stopping the gossip, not putting wood on the fire, this is the way we affirm and help one another. And that gives life. Number four, another spirit crusher, hurtful words. A 1218 I really feel the imagery of this verse, and I'm sure many of you are going to feel it too. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. Like sword thrusts. Ever been in a position where someone has said something about you and it, it felt like a knife going into you? Have you been in that place? You know, the, the expression of those words, his words, they went straight through me. You heard that before? Or, again, because this is a family series, I feel okay quoting Donkey when he said to Shrek, you cut me deep, Shrek. You cut me real deep. Right? Yeah? I just really felt like we needed to kind of lighten it up a little bit there, don't you? It's a heavy message, right? Let's not miss the point. There's one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. These rash words are, uh, the NIV has reckless there. They're thoughtless words. It wasn't thinking. I just let them fly and they, they caused wounding. They caused hurt. How easy it is, and we have a lot of educators in our church, how easy it is for educators, for teachers, just to say something to a student. Maybe it's a a sarcastic remark they don't quite get, or maybe it's a cutting comment of some kind. How easy it is for parents to do this to their kids. We spend so much time with them, so much time together. Something's going to come out that's not right, that just hurts your child. Parents who call their kids dumb or stupid or fools. That happens. I find it astounding that it happens, but it happens. I've joked around a little bit that in, in, in this English translation of the Bible, the ESV, that it uses the word stupid. It uses the word fool throughout the book of Proverbs. And we've joked around about that a little bit. But let's understand that when that word is used in the context of the scriptures, it's referring to someone whose moral bankruptcy causes them to live their life in a way that's counter to the ways of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be stupid or foolish in the biblical sense of things. But if your kid doesn't do as well as they ought to at school or, or they just did something that caused a flood in your basement or they burned down your garage, I mean, we're not calling our kids stupid or foolish. A word like that coming from a person in authority, a person who's supposed to be in a love relationship with them, that sticks for a lifetime. That's a sword thrust through their torso, right into their hearts. Words crush, they kill the spirit inside a person. Husbands and wives. Are you saying hurtful words to one another in the midst of disagreements? Are there harsh words? Are voices raised? Do you swear at each other? There's no room for that. 
Not in a marriage that's based on the word of God. They are spirit crushers. They are sword thrusts and wounds that aren't going away anytime soon. And I'd just like to say to those that are in the room right now who maybe you were the victim of that. Maybe you grew up in a home where there was no positive affirmation, where there was no love expressed, where harsh words were spoken. And you've grown up and you're an adult now. And and there's no doubt these wounds last a lifetime. And you're an adult, 30 years old, 40 years old, 50 years old, 60 years old, and you're still carrying the scar tissue. I just want to tell you there's healing in Jesus Christ for that. And no one needs to live under the condemnation of that. There's healing in Christ who himself suffered the slanderous, murderous words of those who accused him. There's healing in Jesus Christ for you. You don't need to live with the pain of that any longer. I understand that your spirit is crushed. But turn to Jesus Christ on the cross and find healing for that. We need to be life givers. And that's what we need to give each other is healing words. Notice the rest of the verse. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. I just think, you know, we send our kids off to school. Kids are cruel with one another, aren't they? Just awful things said on a playground. I remember. I mean, I'm old, but I remember school. Hurtful things are said. They insult everything. If there's something about a kid that can be noticed, it can be insulted. And so parents, in light of that, I mean, maybe you don't even realize what's happening in the schoolyard. You don't know what's going on in the classroom. Your kids get home. They need it. Ten times over from you, from you, the affirmation, the love, the healing words, because the world's assaulting them. Our kids went to a, 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 a Catholic high school. We sent our kids there. Luke's still there. I mean, they hear, as a, in a regular course of their day, enough F-bombs to last a lifetime. Enough talk about sex and drugs and all kinds of evil things in the world. And when they come home, they better be finding life there. They better be finding healing from mom and dad in the context of our home. We need to be creating a refuge for them and speaking life for one another. Healing words include praying for and with our kids. Those are words that our kids need to hear from us. Let me pray for you. I'm praying for you. Here's what I'm praying for you. Talk about healing. Notes and cards. Love and respect expressed verbally in our families and our marriages. The word of God read aloud in our homes. Healing words. That's what we need. Ready for number five? Spirit crusher, fighting words. 17.14. The beginning of strife is like letting out water. And the whole imagery here of, of the dam is, uh, we have the image of a dam here, and the letting out of water is this small breach that's happened in the dam. Now, the thing about a small breach and a dam is this. If you don't get on top of that and repair it, the water will eventually break through the dam and uh, create a flood and a catastrophic situation downstream. The beginning of strife is like letting out a little water. It's like putting a little, a little chip in the dam, a small crack. And the image here of strife is, is of a verbal confrontation. It's a battle with our words. Arguments that result in severed relationships. It is the proverbial war on words. And it begins with a single word. A single comment. An angry moment. Someone cracks the dam. Maybe you're the kind of person and you would be considered in your home or family to be someone who provokes a crisis. 
You're the person who stirs it up. Sometimes homes will have people who are peacemakers and they're always trying to appease and that certainly has a very good side to it and there can be the person who's just always appeasing and and always giving in and never confronting anything. There is a time when provoking a situation can be a good thing, but if you have as your general makeup, I just like to stir it up. I just like to argue for the sake of arguing. I like tension. I like conflict. I don't like it when it's all peaceful around our house. Maybe you're that kind of person. You're the person who's going up to the dam and and, and you're cracking a hole in it. You want to see something happen. You want some action and you're you're crushing the spirit of the people that you are supposed to be loving. Are you the person who always has to have the last word or who always has one more thing to say? Chip, 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 chip away at the dam until there's a flood. I love the simplicity of the solution in the second part of this verse. Again, 17, 14 starts. The beginning of strife is like letting out water. So quit. Don't you love that? I love the simplicity. See, if I were a counselor, that would, I'd just tell everybody that. I'm not great at counseling, so people would come in for their appointment. They, every appointment would be very short. <laughs> Quit. Stop, well, stop doing that. Quit before the quarrel breaks out. That's what the verse says here. I have good biblical grounds for that counsel, you can see. And I certainly appreciate the clarity of it. And I think that so many things in our soul care ministry where we are dealing with some deep issues, if people would just see what God's word says about it and would just stop doing it. Just stop. Stop being selfish. Stop talking. Stop gossiping. Stop flattering people. Stop trying to gain an advantage. Stop saying hurtful things. Just stop. Just quit. Give life instead. Quit saying the things that you're saying. Quit stirring up conflict and using fighting words in your home before your spouse finally has enough and walks out on you. Before your kids say, this is ridiculous. I'm out of here and I reject your God. The stakes are high here. God's entrusted us with a family that we're to raise for his glory. And we have to instead offer peacemaking words. Peace comes when we quit fighting, when we quit with the contention. And are we offering words that will bring about peace, will bring an end to conflict? We've talked a little bit about that already in this series. Number six, spirit crusher number six is deceitful words. 1922. This one we're going to kind of look back, look at backwards, upside down a little bit. The verse goes like this. 1922. What is desired in a man is steadfast love, and a poor man is better than a liar. Now, I I suspect that poverty sucks. I I don't think it's great to be poor. Uh, But in this uh, passage, it's saying that it's worse to be a liar. I have only a very small taste of what it means to not have a lot of money. My mom and dad are sitting right here, and uh, my aunt is part of this church as well. And we moved from uh, Quebec to Ontario in the uh, uh, mid-70s, mid to late 70s. And um, when we got here, uh, the first business that my dad and my uncle partnered in uh, went uh, bankrupt within um, a matter of months. Really didn't go bankrupt, but um, money was stolen from the company, and the franchises weren't there. And so we were left. We had bought... Uh, two houses side by side, um, and, um, and there was no money. And I didn't know what it was like to be poor. My dad always provided real well for our family. We didn't know what it was like to be poor. But in those days, the only way that we could survive is for my aunt and uncle and my mom and dad to pool their resources. My dad and my uncle both went out and got two jobs each. This was 1978. They both got two jobs each. Uh, they worked night and day, started a business, and then got jobs for other companies. And we, we had to pool our grocery uh, bill. My mom and my aunt would both go out grocery shopping together. We had food in one house, and we ate in one house together as two families, because that's all we could do. 
And that only lasted for a few months. My parents are real diligent about their finances, and they got us back on track real fast uh, over the period. But there was about a year or so there that was very, very difficult. And, and that's as close as I've gotten to poverty, and I'm sure some of you have experienced much worse than that. But I just remember, it was not an easy time. As a 13-year-old, I even knew that. It, it just, it's not great to be poor, but it's worse to be a liar. That's the point of the proverb. It's far worse, as difficult as that is. The, the element of difficulty at living in poverty, something few of us would want, it's far better than being a liar. Deceitful words destroy trust and integrity. The very foundation of every relationship, every good relationship you have, has to be founded on trust and integrity. And if you don't have those things, you don't have a relationship, you don't actually have anything. And if over time you gain a reputation for being a person who is untrustworthy, a person who lacks integrity, no one's going to want to be in relationship with you. You lose that, you lose everything. And for that reason, it's so devastating to families and marriages. Relationships must have trust in them or, or they're done. And when we lie, when we deceive, we destroy relationships. Deceit is actually, the problem with deceit is very often it's what I would call a compound sin. Because very often deceit is used to cover another sin. You have an addiction to alcohol that you don't want anyone to know about. And so you use a lot of mouthwash, you cover it up in some way, you hide a 26-ouncer in a garden hose, you put it in the toilet tank. There's all kinds of ways. You use deceit. You uh, drink when no one sees you. I had an uncle who used to um, carry around a little flask of, of uh, vodka, and, and he always only drank tea, as far as any of us ever knew. But after he got served his tea, he always left the room for a few moments. All right? You have to use deceit to cover up the sin. If you're here today and you're into porn, if you're addicted to pornography, you're covering that up. You're covering your tracks. You're deleting your browser history. You're doing it when no one else is awake. You're, you're, you're doing it when no one else is around. You're addicted to pornography, but you have to use deceit to cover that up. Whatever your addiction is, if, if you're here today and, and you're messing around on your spouse or, or you're a teenager who's using drugs or doing things that you ought not to be doing that you know your parents aren't going to be happy with, you're using deceit to cover that. It's a compound sin. It's a spirit crusher. Destroys trust in a relationship. And instead, we need to be life givers, offering loving words. Look at now the first part of the verse. Uh, what is desired in a man is steadfast love. Now, this isn't just any kind of love. It's steadfast love. We've looked at this word before. It's the uh, Hebrew word. you remember this one? Chesed. It's that word that means uh, covenant faithfulness. This is a covenantal love. It's based on a, an agreement I have with God, and it's a two-way. We both agree to some things. It's faithfulness, it's commitment, it's the kind of love that chooses to remain faithful no matter what. It's the kind of love that God has for us. He's completely faithful to his covenant. No matter how unfaithful we have been, despite the fact that we sin and we disappoint our God, despite the fact that we violate God's moral code, God is ever faithful to us, standing ready to offer more grace to forgive us when we ask him. He pours out on our love, uh, his love on us, even though we are so tentative about showing our love to him. It's covenant faithfulness. It's covenant steadfast love. We choose to love in this way, never deceiving, always trusting. Love and deceit cannot coexist in any way in any marriage or any family for it to truly be functional and glorifying God. Loving words are truthful words and they're words of enduring commitment for each other. Loving words bring life. Deceitful words crush the spirit. Finally this. 
empty promises. 25.14. Empty promises. There's another great image here. Like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of a gift he does not give. Like clouds and wind without rain. That's the metaphor that he's using here. I had the privilege. We don't think a lot about this. We live in a country that has an abundance of water. But I had the privilege several years ago to travel to Israel. Those of you who have gone on that trip know that Israel is this extremely parched land. Most of the land is, is, uh, is, is just scrub. It's rocks. It's sand. It's dirt. It's, it's what it is. They've... They've got this, uh, this pressing need for water. In fact, when you think about the way wars are fought, most often in our day, wars are fought over resources like oil. In our generation, we've seen a number of wars fought over access to oil reserves. But in ancient times, and I think probably in our future too, wars were fought over water. And a lot of the battles that happened in Israel, the strategic wars that took place throughout the millennia, in Israel were fought over access to the Sea of Galilee and the Jordan River. It was about water in a parched land. It makes perfect sense. You can't move your army. You can't move people. You can't live places that don't have water. So the Sea of Galilee was critical to that because it was this large body of fresh water in the midst of desert dryness. we, We miss that because we're... We're on the shores of Lake Simcoe because we're in the midst of five great lakes because we go an hour north and all you have is lakes. And so we have this abundance of fresh water and we miss this. But when a friend, Arie Bar-David, a, a Jew from the land of Israel, came and visited Canada and was going on a camping trip with someone from our church, and the guy from our church prayed, as we often do, when we have a family outing or we have a barbecue we want to go to or there's a wedding being held, we pray, God, I pray that today it would not And a Jew in the land would never pray that prayer, ever. Rain is life in a land that doesn't have a lot of water. And so for a Jew reading the proverb, it's, it's somewhat lost on us. Like clouds and winds without rain. We're grateful that these clouds and winds didn't have rain because we had a thing today in the backyard. Canadians are thick. Got to understand. That's why you always ask the question, what did this mean to the original reader? The original reader in Israel's going, that's the most cruel thing ever. It's been dry for months. There's clouds on the horizon. How awesome is this? The winds are blowing them in. There's a storm coming. It's going to rain. And you watch the clouds pass over. And the wind disappears. And no rain comes. It's devastating. And in fact, it could perpetuate a famine. It could cause death and great suffering amongst the people. This is an important, critical point for them. And he uses it, Solomon uses it here to describe an empty promise. A promise made but not kept. Every cloud is a promise, but when the cloud doesn't deliver, it's bitter disappointment. I mean, I have a hard time ordering each of these seven spirit crushers in terms of importance and how grave they are in affecting our lives. But this whole matter of not keeping our promises crushes the spirit of people in our families. So many marriages are coming to an end simply because someone who once stood before a person like me and made vows before God doesn't keep their promise. And again, the standard for us as the followers of Jesus Christ, we keep our promises. We serve a God who keeps his promises. And our life must be patterned after his. Parents, you're making promises to your children, keep them. In fact, I would say this on a day when we've done child dedications. 
by virtue of having children, you have established a covenant with them to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And when you step up here to dedicate them before the church, you're merely making formal what you have already done by virtue of having children. You will stand before the Lord for how you have raised them. Keep your promises. Raise your children in the ways of Jesus Christ. Live your life in such a way that they see consistency. That's how you keep your promise. Husbands and wives, you talked about the vows. You made vows, keep them. My parents, um, uh, 50 years, uh, just uh, four weeks from now, 50 years of keeping a promise that they made. Back before they really even understood what that was about. If you made the promise, you keep the promise. And you honor the Lord in all of that. See, we're life givers when we offer reliable words. What I love about Jesus Christ is he's described, I love this description of him in Revelation 19.11. He is the one who is faithful and true. Amen? Gave his life for us on the cross. Was resurrected to new life. Revelation 19, the picture there is of him as the rider on the white horse and he's coming back again and he's gonna keep his promise. He's gonna keep his promise. Our Savior and our Lord is coming back for us to take us to be with him forever. His words are reliable and our words need to be just as reliable, amen? Amen. So let's make the pledge. These seven spirit crushers, we need to be done with these. Maybe as we've been going through this, you've been saying, that's me, that one right there I struggle with. I would just even encourage you this week, if you could just isolate, because seven's a lot. But I figured with seven, I've got everybody. Right? Uh, Maybe there's more than one that you're struggling with. Maybe you could just pick one this week and just say, I just want to really make sure that's not happening in my life this week. Just pick one and work on that. And maybe next week another. Um, But let's make the pledge. It's our family thing to speak well of each other. Let's say this together. We're personalizing it. It's our family thing to speak well of each other. All right, let's pray. Our God and Father, help us um, all. We need your Spirit's power. We need strength from you, uh, Father, to um, not allow these spirit crushers to have any place in our lives. We repent. Father, we spend even just a minute right now. Father, we genuinely are sorry for the ways that we have hurt our loved ones with our words. And God, it would be our desire to turn from that and to not crush the spirit of anyone, not in the church, not in our homes, not in our workplaces, not in our families, not with our kids or our grandkids, but God, to give life. Help us to be life givers with one another by the way we speak. Help us to measure our words, to speak words of peace and steadfast love to one another. God, we can't do this apart from you helping us. So fill us with your Holy Spirit, we pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.